Welcome to Park Sportsbook presents Stick to Hockey Live. How about episode number 27? I can't believe we've done 27 since the reboot. And we love Parks, and they were a big reason why this podcast has returned. Live stream, whatever you want to call it. This hockey content has returned. Uh, Taryn Hatcher is going to join us in just a couple moments. But let me tell you about Parks before she starts. We have a ton to discuss today, by the way. Uh, a lot going on. We've got to talk about Claude Drew, who she had to sit down with not too long ago. Uh, we'll talk about that, we'll talk about the team, talk about how hockey got its hooks in her, and much, much more, working with Al Morgani, who appeared on a, an earlier episode of Stick to Hockey Live, and also Scott Hartnell, who have uh, joined me on Flyers Daily on numerous occasions. So we'll talk about that with Taryn in just a minute, but let me tell you about Park Sportsbook. It's time you download the app because you got the College Hoops uh, tournament going on, and that's f- so much fun to gamble on and get action on. And then obviously the hockey season and maybe baseball at some point, we shall see pro hoops as well. So grab the app, download it, put it on your phone, whether it's on your Android or your, or your Apple phone and uh, just uh, open up an account, your deposit and your first bet risk free up to $500. You do not need a promo code. So you don't have to write anything down and just grab the app. If you're not comfortable right away, grab the app and just kind of start looking through it. See how easy it is to navigate. See how easy it is to deposit, get this, Great, easy deposit methods, fast payouts, the whole thing. And see all the different ways you can get your action in on whatever sport you want to gamble on, wherever you want to put your action, whether that's just regular old school, you know, money lines, puck lines, points, spreads, whatever it is, you can do that. And uh, check out all the different player props, same game parlays, player performances, you name it, teasers. It's all there and it's all really easy to navigate and figure out. That's the fun part. You can combine different bets and, you know, get better plus odds. If you, you know, you feel really passionate about three different elements of a game or games or combination thereof, mixing sports, whatever it is, you can do that. You can get, you know, real good payouts and real good return on uh, smaller bets as well. So make sure you check it out. It's the park sports book app. You can get it at the uh, app store on your phone, open up an account and just simply, deposit and your first bet will be risk-free so it's very simple to use so you'll enjoy it and it's very simple so check it out and make sure you follow parks on all the different social channels at park sportsbook on twitter follow them on instagram facebook and youtube as well there you're going to get tons of great content not only stick to hockey live all 27 episodes uh, but you'll also get the ogs podcast with myself and harry mays you'll get Great content from Natalie Aganoff, Sam Wilson, and many others. So make sure you follow them at Park Sportsbook on Twitter. And again, on Instagram, Twitter, uh, and YouTube as well. It's all there. Facebook as well. Sorry. And uh, you'll get everything that you need that way, plus daily specials and much more. And check out the same game parlays. They're they're awesome. They're a lot of fun. And you'll see s- certain you know bonus bets and specials you can bet on as well. Uh, in particular games. So check it all out on the Parks Sportsbook app. All right. Episode 27. Uh, Taryn Hatcher is going to join us in just a moment as the Flyers are yet coming off another win. Last Monday, we did the uh, episode 25. Flyers are coming off a win, 2-1 win over the Washington Capitals on that occasion. And on this occasion, they're coming off a 4-3 win over the Chicago Blackhawks, which was you know, it's, it's a shame because it was a day game. I love matinee games because they just feel different. They feel bigger in a way, too. That was obviously a national television game. But, you know, you had a really good entertaining game against Chicago. And I understand Chicago's not very good. They're not. 
and the Flyers obviously are in a season where they're not very good. But to have that game and and be entertained with the physicality that was in the game, there were some dirty plays in the game. I really didn't like the hit that uh, was made on Kevin Connaughton, and he left the ice, and I just didn't like that from Debrinket, and I felt like there was a calling card. I, th- I thought that Rasmus Ristolainen was going to murder a man in that game. He got Debrinket like around the throat at one point. But it had all the elements of an entertaining hockey game, and it was a win to boot. And it, it kind of put me into like almost a depression mode. I'm going, God, I wish this team was good and wish this team was going to play some meaningful hockey this spring. You know, when it's warm out, it's warm out today, right? And hockey in warm weather is usually indicative of playoffs and going to the game when it's warm out, tailgating, you know, pulling into the building. I get there early before games, a couple hours before games and seeing people outside tailgating already. I obviously can't tailgate. That wouldn't be good. But seeing people out there tailgating and, and getting ready for the games and everything is is awesome. It's a lot of fun. I wish that was in the cards this year. It's not. It clearly is not. And nothing can change that this season. Where they go moving forward will be of the utmost interest. And will be interesting to see how they handle this situation now, just two weeks from the NHL trade deadline. Two weeks from today. I mean, I remember talking about it like six weeks ago. We're going, we're talking about the deadline here like incessantly. And it's still two months away because it's March 21st. It's later than normal because the season is going to end later than normal because it started later than normal and you had that built in Olympic break. So, but now we're only two weeks away. We're 14 days away and we're kind of counting down the games to Claude Giroux gets to a thousand. Now he's slated to play his thousandth NHL game. If he remains with the flyers on March 17th on St. Patty's day, that'll be a week from Thursday against Nashville at Wells Fargo center. Could that be the last game for Giroux? Eh, Maybe not. Maybe the last home game for Drew was actually the day before the deadline, Sunday, March 20th, against uh, the New York Islanders. Or maybe it's in Ottawa, back in his hometown on March 18th. We don't know. But uh, I have a feeling that he will get to the 1,000th game. He will be in a Flyers jersey for the 1,000th game of his career. And uh, he'll get to have that moment. But it it might be his final moment, not only as as a Flyers player, uh, that will be dealt at the deadline. I usually do not believe that players um, will. It's very rare that players get traded at the deadline and then return to where they were traded from. So short of Drew winning a cup, if Drew were to win a cup, that makes maybe that's a little bit different. I don't know. Um, but overall, it's rare that that happens. Now, Keith Kachuk did it. Back in, I want to say, 04, 05, um, and was traded from the St. Louis Blues, as you can hear the trash truck pulling up outside, um, and was traded to the Blue, from the Blues to the Atlanta Thrashers, and then traded and then went back and signed with the Blues after it. And oddly enough, when Keith Kachuk did it, he was the same age as Drew. He was 34. And obviously, Kachuk had a great career and was a great player. And did return. But again, I think that that's rare. Now, why is it rare? Probably because when a player turns the page, he turns the page. And if Drew goes somewhere else, it's almost, I think, liberating in a way for a player to be in a different situation without the the same 
narrative and pressures. Like he's going to go to a team, whether it's Colorado, whether it's Florida, whether it's Carolina, and he's not going to be the face of the team. He's going to be an addition, maybe a really big piece, but he's going to be an addition to that team. Uh, and obviously those teams that I just mentioned, Colorado, Florida, and um, Carolina are really good teams already. So he's going to be a piece there. He's not going to be the face and he's not going to have the baggage of how, you know, the last what, eight, 10 years here where they haven't had a lot of success in the playoffs. So he can go there, play hockey, not have to be the spokesman and all of those elements. And I think that's liberating for a player. So returning, I think is that that's part of the equation and why players don't return, especially high end players that were really attached to the city that they were traded from. Like Keith Kachuk was in St. Louis, like Giroux is here. Kachuk did go back, but again, I think he's more the rarity than the norm for, you know, NHL players to do that. It just, it just doesn't play out that way very often. So we'll see what uh, happens going forward. But first and foremost, the trade deadline's two weeks away. What are they going to get for him? What's the return going to be? Who else is going to be sent out uh, at this deadline for the Flyers? Is it going to be Justin Braun? I suspect so. Is it going to be Rasmus Ristolainen? I don't know. That might be a coin flip right now because Rasmus Ristolainen is a guy that, uh, you know, there's been some reporting out there that they want to extend, but he also wants to get to unrestricted free agency, which he's earned as a player coming to the Flyers on the final year of his deal, 5.4 million. Uh, he's going to be do a raise. There's no doubt about that. I know some people and a lot of the people in the analytics community don't want to hear that. And I saw this, this tweet from one of the analytics guys, Jay Fresh on Twitter, and they had this projected, I guess it, it's wins above replacement model that he has. And Look, I'm, I'm, you know, when it comes to analytics, I think there's a place for it, obviously. But he had this tweet about Ristolainen and his war number, projected war number, and it was incredibly low. And, okay, his analytics model has it that way and has his projected war percentage very low. And we know that the his game doesn't translate to analytics. It's a 2%. And the lower the number, the worse. But there was a number there on his player card that he put out that says teammates, 93%. He was asked about that. And that's about quality of his teammates at 93%. Has he not watched the Flyers? They don't have – he doesn't have great teammates. So almost his model goes out the window. Yeah, tra Travis Sanheim has been very good. But the team is lacking depth and players. So how do you give the guy a 2% projected war percentage in Ristolainen and say his teammates are 93%? Have you seen them play this year? It just lacks it lacks a lot of context. But let's get to Taryn Hatcher right now from NBC Sports Philadelphia. She joins us right now on the uh, episode 27 of Park Sportsbook Presents Stick to Hockey Live. And there's Hello. How are we doing? Hello, I'm good. I'm going to shut this window really quickly because you can hear all of Philadelphia behind me right now, I feel like. Um, oh, that's a good thing. How are you doing? I was listening to you talk about the delights of analytics on here and uh, the conundrum of Rasmus or Salinan, the analytics. One of my favorite conversations to have with people at bars around the city every time I see them. It's 
Tremendous. I love it. I, I got a text from a guy last week, Taryn, and he, and he said to me, he goes, please tell me the Flyers didn't offer offer a line in six times six. And I said, I don't know that they have or they haven't. I don't know of, you know, we don't know of any validity of any of that reporting. I, I, there's obviously interest in them resigning him. And I said, okay, but you got to consider that number of six times six for a player at 27 years of age. Look what some of the D men in the NHL have gotten paid, whether that's, you know, Darnell Nurse. He's a left shot, but he got 9.25 on an eight year extension. What did, what did Jones just get paid? Nine something? Ten. 10, yeah, right? Like, okay, I knew it was high. Hamilton got 10. nine. Yeah, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and those no, are right shot guys. Six, six times six. Again, I I don't know anything for sure. I'm with you. I don't actually think that's what the offer was. I, I tried to figure out what the – do you know what the initial source was on those numbers or no? I I, I know that Anthony Sanfilippo has reported that, that that was like ballpark kind of where they were, and he was mm-hmm. thinking he could get more if he went to free agency, and he might. But there's obviously risk in that. And, you know, does he return? He wants to win, too, right? He was in Buffalo for all those years, which is a total gong show. And -hmm. then he comes to the Flyers, and that's a total gong show this year. So he wants to, like, I get it. But, um, you know, people freaking out over it. And, again, it's it's the lack of context in some of the analytics communities. He brings a level of – this team needs more physicality, not less. Yeah, no, I agree. And and I think I, I we always talk about this on the the shameless plug Flyers Talk pod that we do over at NBC Sports Philly. Um, we talk about it a lot where what it could have shoulda doesn't matter. But I would love to see what him and Sandheim's numbers looked like with an actual like group of forwards <laughs> that aren't, you know, on any given night missing six, five four, seven different players. Yeah. Because when we talk about last year and where things really went wrong last year and like Scott and I would talk about it, you can talk about defensemen having breakdowns and they certainly did as well, but the forward groups defensive structure was, was bad. And I'm not saying it's this year. There's just so many different kind of holes in the ship to plug in terms of like, injury issues and AHL guys and COVID and coaching changes and whatever. But I would love to have seen what their numbers look like with the action, with like Sean Couturier and Kevin Hayes being the first and second line centers, Um, because it does change the way the defensemen play as well. And I think now you see the way Sandheim's getting involved offensively. And I do think some of that has to be some kind of confidence and comfortability but yeah, so actually, like we, he used to practice at the skate zone. Had games at the skate zone. I used to sneak up the stairs into the writers' room that I now work at all the time. Um, so that was really like where I fell in love with hockey. I was watching probably Kyle play before anything else. And then um, I can remember in middle school. I mean, was a Flyers fan well before middle school. But that was when I start. Like it became like appointment viewing for me. Mm-hmm. It was like the like Jeff Carter, Mike Richards era, like the cool guys, like the flyer cool guys all came in and um, they were just fun to watch. And my dad had obviously like raised us talking about the Broad Street Bullies and my uncle had had season tickets through the 80s. So my mom used to like I remember the first time I interviewed Brad Marsh, my mom was like, you have to tell him like I, we used to go all the time back when Uncle Gary had tickets he had the best head of hair. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to bring that up because Brad Marsh is incredibly bald now, but okay. Mom. <laughs> so it was like kind of a weird thing because they were our number one 
we were a huge college basketball house as well because my dad played college basketball. Um, but as a family, like the Flyers were our first team. Yeah. And then when I came, actually when I was an intern at Comcast Sportsnet in 2013, I remember Marshall Harris saying to me, you should pick a specific job that you want to chase after, but then be flexible to do everything else as well. But it's good to have a target. And he was like, what would be the job you would do if you could do one? And I was like, well, you know, the way like the Sixers have Molly Sullivan or like Derek Gunn is on the beat for the Eagles at the time. Um, this was back when I was interning there. Um, like, I would love to do that for the Flyers, but that position doesn't really exist. And he was like, yeah, it doesn't. But I see what you mean. Like, you want to be a beat reporter for a team. And I was like, no, I want to be a beat reporter for hockey. Like, it's the best sport to watch. It's the best sport to watch in person. They're the best athletes to work with. And they truly are. Um, and it's the franchise that I kind of have the most, like, connection to the legacy of them. Like, I was raised being very aware of the legacy of the team and the history of the team. And he was like, and I remember Marshall being like, Hey, world's changing. You never know what could happen, but that's, you know, just an FYI, like that's not really a position. And then it just so happened when I got hired back to NBC sports Philly, after I'd been there for a few months, I guess they had auditioned tons and tons of rinkside reporters. I didn't even know that they were doing that. And then they came to me just because they knew kind of my background with the flyers in terms of like my youth. Um, and they were like, is this something you'd want to do if, if you're open to trying it, we'd actually, we think it'd be a great position for you. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I thought this was like a thing that was never going to exist because there weren't a ton of ringside reporters in hockey yet. Like it yeah. wasn't, it's still kind of a, it's not like a new position anymore, but even when I was announced, like most places had, an analyst between the boards and an analyst up top. They didn't do reporters. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of been like a long-term thing. I never thought it would happen though. If I'm being transparent, I thought like, Oh yeah, we don't, that's not how our broadcast is set up. So that's just not probably feasible. And then it happened and then it turned into the studio job, but it's been like a long-term as soon as, as soon as Kyle started playing and I can remember like seeing people get hit into the boards and I'm sitting on the little bleachers at the skate zone. And I was like, this is sick. This is so cool. Like, and it, yeah. it was done. It was just a done deal. You were totally, you were hooked yeah. at that point. I want to ask you about your sit down with Claude and okay. with Claude Giroux because you have one, you know, obviously he's the big name and he's the longest tenured athlete in Philly. He's been here for 14 years since he debuted and been a full-time player. You know, first, let me ask you not about your interview, but just about your interaction before and after the interview. What kind mm -hmm. of stuff did you get from him? Um, well. Because you've been around him a lot. Yeah. So like you, you know, like the vibe when. Well, and I always, this is what I, this is, see, I, I'm a big G defender in terms of when people talk about his demeanor and in, in press, like in interviews and stuff like that. Because when we sit down and talk before the light goes red, I mean, like, great, great stuff. But he's been asked the same two dozen questions repeatedly for almost a decade and a half. And so I think he gets very, like, polished at this career. Like, he knows how to get through them and pivot out of things he doesn't want to say and whatever. And that certainly was the case in the interview as well, although I, you know, he kind of agreed to, to be more open about certain things. And also, like I said, you know, I'm not going to ask some of these questions that I know you're just not going to answer because it's a waste of our time. Um, beforehand, I'll say 
it was interesting because we were all ready to go and Bill Barber came walking by the interview room and was talking to Claude and Bill was very animated in his conver- in his side of the conversation. Um, and I could hear some of it. I don't really think it's my place to like share. Um, but um, it was really interesting because you could tell it was kind of like a like words of wisdom chat kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, so that set the tone. We didn't get to chat too, too much beforehand, which normally we do um, because everything was, he was just, honestly, he was just very sincere after we got done. And Claude's always been really good to me in interviews before and after. And I always talked about his wife and his sons and, you know, all that. So I think in that way, he's always been pretty like genuine and sincere and very friendly. Mm-hmm. Um so I don't want to read into it as like, it was like a, like a sincere, emotional, like, thank you. It's been nice to work with you kind of a thing. Um, but it was kind of weird because we're all sitting there as the interview gets done and we're like, is this the last time we're going to interview him? Like as a flyer, like that could be so yeah. strange. Um, but it was, there was one question that I knew if I asked him to reflect on his legacy, he wouldn't do it. Like, I know he's smarter than that. Yeah. So I kind of worded a question about, you know, when you look back at yourself and, you know, you became captain, what, 2013? Was that when he became yep. captain? I'm trying to think yeah, now. Yeah, shortened season. Um, you became captain back in, you know, 2013, and it's almost a decade ago now. If you could go back and tell yourself then advice from what you know now, what would you do? And his answer was really interesting and reflective, just about, like, enjoy it, like, the time flies, enjoy the ride, enjoy the highs, learn from the lows, like, all of that. And that reflectiveness was interesting because, I mean, listen, I was trying to play a little bit of chess with the wording of the question. The whole point was to try to get him to be reflective, but I didn't know if he would play ball, if he would really do that. And he did. And I was like, it is interesting to hear you reflect now because you wonder, is this as close to crossing the line talking about his career as a flyer in retrospect as we're going to get? And it was the closest we got, but I don't, I also don't want to read between the lines and put words in his mouth because I have more respect for him than that. But it, it was, it was weird to listen to because he, a doesn't talk like that, but that wasn't, that, that wasn't the question I asked. I didn't ask him like reflect on your legacy. It was more like something else that I felt like he would answer. Yeah. Um, because yeah, he doesn't want to put it's strange. Yeah. He doesn't want, anybody that is in that room to get the sense that he's checked out and thinking about yes. somewhere else. That's yes. it's, it's like leader till the end. He has not know? given up. I mean, let me tell you something. He has not. And Jonesy, I was talking to Jonesy about it. He said it on air. He was like, it is interesting as a player, you do get excited about the opportunity to maybe go win a Stanley cup. Like you look at, if it's Colorado, you put Claude on Colorado Oof. and you sit there and you go, that team, he feasibly could be a few months away from a Stanley cup. That's got to be exciting. That being said, it seems like that's item 15 on the list right now. Yeah. Um, Cause that's how he is. And so when people criticize his leadership, I'm like, just go away. I'm I've, I, we used to, we sit, we used to sit next to the tunnel. We would hear yeah. the investment in the games and the team and himself. We, he cares a lot more than I think people give him credit for. Yeah, you're right. And it's one of those things where, you know, I think people from the outside see the sea and it's romanticized of what it means. But really, the big thing is, is there's there's six to eight guys that 
are leaders. That's mm-hmm. how it has to be in that sport. You have to, leading is multiple men, multiple players. Yeah. Because not one man can do it. it it's yeah. too much of an undertaking. There's there's leaders. There's a, another group of players that, you know, maybe need to be led. And then there's another group of players that don't necessarily need to be led, but aren't vocal leaders. Well, and think about it. It's like, it's unlike, I'm trying to think. It's unlike any, like I grew up playing soccer. I was a soccer player. If you are the captain of your team, you are usually on the field for the full 90 minutes mm-hmm. and you are responsible for, you know, going at the refs. If they make a bad call, like you are supposed to be the emotional leader, the entirety of the game in hockey, you're an emotional leader for however long you're, sh- you're supposed to lead in the sure in the dressing room full time. But realistically you need someone to lead each shift. It's, yeah. there, it's unlike other sports, like if, being a captain of a basketball team or even being a captain in football, like you can have a defensive captain, an offensive captain, a special teams captain, whatever, but they are fully with their group all the time. Yeah. Hockey's so unique in that you'll be with your line, maybe for the entirety of the game. I mean, we see that change all the time as well, but you're not even with the same deep pairs most of the time. So you need a ton of leaders and a good leader doesn't have to like, I, I really hate when people think a good leader has to be like the strongest at the top, loudest, most in your face, most emotional or the friendliest or the funniest or whatever. Sometimes a good leader knows when to step back or when to delegate who needs, who needs to say what in certain situations, like mm-hmm. if it's the one voice all the time, it doesn't hit the same way. No. And I, I just think, if you talk to young players about what Claude's like as a captain, like they beam, they absolutely beam at the way he exemplifies what other players need to do. And again, I, I always joke about it. If he, if he falls down at practice, he looks like he's mad at the ice. Nobody cares more than him. And that's what, that's what I captain should be in my book. But people look at Pronger when Pronger was here and, and he was obviously an alpha. You know, mm-hmm. he was a commanding guy. But I will tell you that some of the younger players when he was here, I mean, they called him to me off the record, Captain Asshole. I won't say who said it, but he was Captain Douchebag, Come Captain on. Asshole. But, but because because Prong could be, you know, they also know that Prong's got in front of a camera and could play the game in a way, right? Yeah. So some players didn't appreciate that. And athletes are different now, you know? They need yeah. to be led differently. It is 100%. different. Yeah. I mean, what Mike Yo said the other day, I thought was really interesting about, you know, being a teammate and sometimes you got to go up to your teammate or your, your best friend and tell them that you need more. Yeah. I, I well, think that's James, an, James important. Harden, Tyrese Maxey the other day, like at halftime, he said, yeah. are you going to play tonight? And he scored 21 of his 26 points in the second half of the game. Yeah. And that does work in certain relationships with certain players. I fully yeah. agree with you, but athletes like I'm only 29 the way I was raised versus the way kids who are 21 were raised different. was drastically different. Like the things that our coaches used to be able to do, like punishment runs and stuff like that. Like I've, you, I now hear all the time about like, oh yeah, you can't do that anymore. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like when I would get grounded, I'd had to paint walls in the house. Like, and some people, well, you should have called CPS. No, I shouldn't have. It taught me valuable lessons in life, but people aren't raised. They don't speak to each other, like whatever. And I do think that to your point, like 
Pronger is an alpha in a very extroverted way as well. And I yeah. think Claude has a certain amount of um, assertiveness that's more, that's, it's still very strong in its way. It's, it's a strong assertiveness, but it's not an extroverted, loud assertiveness. It is just, no. this is the way things need to be done. Do them or don't. Yeah. Follow, follow me by example, not by yeah. words. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you know, you've been to enough practices. I've been to enough practices and the way he, he prepares in his competitive. Like I always said that, you know, there's, there's always some guys that no matter what they do, losing just kills them. And he's one of those guys. Like I say that if he was playing ping pong in the, inside the, the player's lounge and he was down in the game, he would carve your eyeballs out to win. Yeah. And not because I mean, he's getting the- paid to play ping pong, but just because he has to win. I I've, I've been on the team plane where they're playing cards and like we, we used to sit all the way in the back and they sit all the way in the front, but you can mm-hmm. still see a little bit. You could tell when G was losing, like it was yeah. very apparent, like he cares a lot. And, and I do think he cares a lot about his, like in a, in a quiet way that makes you like, for example, my dad, super reserved guy, but when he speaks, it's serious. It's like, don't cross that line ever again. And I think G with his teammates and stuff like that, even in the media, to at least to the media, I don't know that always comes out in the media. There are certain moments where I've gone like, oh, he's really like, this is a slight posture where he's essentially being like, don't do that again. Yeah. And I've seen it. I've seen him do it to writers. I've never thankfully had it happen to me with him. But where it's I like, mind don't, trick. don't do that. Like, don't do that. Yeah, and don't go there. It's not him pulling a Vora check and, and calling somebody else at a press conference. He handles it in a different way. That doesn't mean it's a less impactful way just because it's not as obvious or as blatant as maybe what people are used to seeing. But to me, it's almost like a sign of maturity. So yeah. I, I don't hate on it at all. I Again, I I sit there all the time, like if you guys could hear and see the things that we've heard and seen in the tunnel when they're leaving for a period where the period did not go well, you'd never question how much he cares or how much of a leader he is or how vocal he is to his group. Yeah. I I I thought it was funny earlier this year when ESPN Plus had the game and Farabee went down the hall and just obliterated a stick, right? Uh And people were like, oh my God, like what, let's go on. Like I would. I tweeted it out, I think, that we worked in that hall, <laughs> right? That's where NBA One is. That that uh-huh. door right there where that camera is is where I was, I've was. i been positioned for 15 years. And the amount of players that I've seen come down that hall and obliterate a stick, I mean, I, I almost think goalies, forwards, D. I mean, Scott, Scott Hartnell would literally walk into the room, smash it at the shower stall, and then, all right, see you guys, and walk out. He was good after that. You got to get it out. I believe you 100%. Yeah, no, I I mean, I was only down there for what? Like three years, two years? Yeah. And you and saw a lot. <laughs> I've seen so many, st- so many sticks, so many expletives, so many yep. this, so many that, whatever. Um, and it's just, it is interesting to me, like people's perception. And that's why on post game, I will always preface when we talk about body language, unless it's like horrible, like unless yeah. it is very blatantly bad. I always say, I hate to read into this or I hate to read too much into this because I hate when I go online and people are reading into something. They're like, look, he looks like he doesn't even care. And I'm like, I sat there and watched this man break a stick over his knee and scream the longest 
uninterrupted chain of curse words I've ever heard. Trust yeah. me, they care. Like yeah. you don't know. I used to love it because when Couturier would break a stick, he would break it high. And when my son was really little, Couturier is a left-hander. He'd break it high <laughs> enough that I'd grab the stick in the hallway and I'd, I'd take it to the train and say, cut it right here. And then yeah, put a knob right. on it. And then Evan yeah. would have a new stick. And there's pro awesome. stock. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. So cool. He That's would always perks, break them high. That's perks. I'm like, Coots, if you're going to break it, just break it up at the yeah. top. He's only 4'9 yeah. right now. So like, I don't need a lot. Go in, go in for a haircut. Just take a little bit off the ends. I need, yeah. I need some length. I haven't had that in a while, but um. yeah, sorry, sorry, didn't yeah. mean to do that. I Brad marched it. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I resemble that remark. Um, let me ask you real quick about you know the the notion of what they're going to do. Whether it's a you know a lot of people want scorched earth. They want to tear it down to the studs and they want to rebuild it. Um, yeah. That's not going to happen, and there's no guarantee that 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 works because we've seen look at look at Colorado. Mm -hmm. Okay, they're great right now. They haven't won anything, but they started that scorched earth in about 08, <laughs> right? Look, look at a team like Toronto. Yeah, they got some really good players. They haven't won a round of the playoffs. They haven't they I mean, won a round of the playoffs in 18 years. miserable all yeah. the time. They're yeah. so excited. And the thing is, too, is like they're – Philly will get this. They're the kind of miserable that has like all the potential energy – and the kinetic energy, instead of leading to a championship, just explodes in your face and everyone's miserable. Like, yeah. they're, yeah. Sorry. Well, they get, they get, they, they pull the, they've, they're a fan base that hasn't learned because mm -hmm. you cannot let, you know, the first 22 games of a season get you that much in a frenzy. It's a long year. Like, Jack Campbell was off to a great start. He's going to win the Desna. They should sign yeah. him for eternity. And now he's struggling because mm -hmm. it's a long season. And then the soup and, got cold. Yeah. And all the, exactly, Soupy got cold, <laughs> and uh, now now they're like, oh, he sucks, and the teams, uh, you know, whatever. But yeah. um, the notion of them moving forward, and one of the terms that Chuck Fletcher used, and Danny Briere reiterated it was they they need quote high end talent, mm -hmm. and I agree, especially if you're going to deal Giroux. How do you accomplish that's another story, um, but that's a big piece of this puzzle, isn't it? Yeah, I um, so it's interesting, too, because Chuck and Danny both talked about high end talent and that usually it's it takes the, the draft like you, there's not always a ton of it available on the free market, although I know there's all the Tarasenko talk and everything else when the Blues came to town and all that. But um, but the here's here's my concern, right? Every time I talk to somebody about, OK, you want to tear it down. Who are your absolute must-keeps? Every single time, it's at the bare minimum five players, which I would argue is a full teardown. At the max and most frequently, it's like nine players. And I'm like, so you don't want a full teardown. You want the aggressive retool, which is what they said they're going to try to do. Um, and that's fine. The high top-line finishers, like – Cam Atkinson plus like you, you need, cause Cam's really been the only guy who's like been a finisher this season. I'd argue outside of Claude Drew and, and even he's had some streaks, but can't really blame him when you look at how everything going on around him. Um, I agree. But when you talk about the thing that scares me about the draft, and this is true of every sport, I was listening to an interview with Deion Sanders. He was talking about it with football 
is you saying, I'm not saying this to disrespect scouts. I get what their job is and how they have to do it. But you really have no ability to predict what a guy is going to do, even generational talent. Like, look at Nolan Patrick. The year before Nolan Patrick was drafted, he was discussed as a generational talent. Then the year he was drafted, stock went down a little bit. He goes number two instead of number one. And then it's, you know, I feel terribly for what Nolan suffered in his career. But it's where that target has landed is a far way off from generational talent, right? People are talking about Bedard, not for this upcoming draft, but the draft after that. And yeah, he could be a generational talent. That would be huge, but he could also not. And that's where high-end talent through the draft scares me. I get it's probably the path of least resistance, but it's also the path that's like dicier at the same time. These are kids. Yeah, like they get drafted. They don't even have hair under their armpits yet. No, they don't shave. Exactly. Well, still can't grow a mustache, but no, it's like, it's, I mean, high-end talent anywhere. It's, it's just so, so hard to come by. Yeah. Um, I hate that everybody wants to throw the term around of generational talent. Like they throw this generational talent term around. Like it's like, it's a box of juji fruits. Well, and I'm like, how do you know they're playing against other 16 year olds? Like, yeah, how do you know? Generational. Was five foot nine when he was like 17 years old. Now he's six yeah. three and a fighter. Like, yeah. The, you know? but like a generate to me in my lifetime, hockey generational talents. Here they are. Uh, and this is just, I wasn't old enough to really appreciate Bobby Orr, but Gretzky, mm-hmm. obviously. Lemieux, obviously. And then I, the next one I'll go to is Crosby and Ovechkin. Right. And then I will give it to Connor McDavid. I don't even give generational to Austin Matthews. Superstar, right. not generational. Generational, right. the term, I could give you a little de- definition, is once in a generation. You can't have yeah. a generational talent every other year. It doesn't work that way. No. That defeats no. the purpose of generational talent. Yeah, but that's that's what, like... But we want to label everything nowadays. Well, how, right? well let me get your, your take on this, too, because I don't get to hang out with you downstairs as much as I used to. What What would be what would be your approach here are you team scorched earth are you team aggressive retool are you team get these pieces back because i'm very much like we didn't ever see this year's team you can't just run it back i don't think that works at all but we never saw this year's team like even watching kevin hayes right now i think he's moved the best he's moved all season transparent i've watched him at practice he's he's the most uh Agile, I've seen him look, I think, since, like, early parts of last year. But that makes yeah. sense with when you hear about how much Force was going on with the abdominal injury. But we we did not see any iteration of what this team was supposed to be ever. And I know people talk about some of the games that Ryan Ellis played. I don't think Kevin Hayes played in all of those games. Didn't play in any of them. Yeah. So yeah. what's your approach? Because – People who want to burn this team to the ground haven't even viewed part of the house yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, people want to burn it to the ground because the Sixers did the process. And and the NBA and the NHL are far different. But by the way, the process and four years of losing intentionally for the Sixers hasn't yielded them further than a second round. They've gotten knocked out in the second round three times. And basketball is an entirely different sport. Totally different, right? When people talk to me, I'm like, stop. Yeah, Basketball is an entirely out. different sport. It is a sport that is now run by its superstars. Their superstars have total agency over teams, which is unlike any other sport. The and NFL, they can opt out of a contract. In the NHL, yeah. you can't opt out of a deal. A thousand percent. And 
when you talk about basketball, realistically in basketball, the way the NBA plays now, you need like two superstars and a, and a good supporting cast or three superstars and a decent supporting cast yeah. in hockey. You get two superstars. You have one line. Yep. And it doesn't matter. Look at Edmonton. Edmonton yeah. drafted number one overall four times in seven years. Edmonton and in the would be top a great five, NBA team. Yeah. In the top five, seven of eight years. And they just fired their coach and they're on the outside looking in. They yeah. have the, the most talented hockey player I think that's ever put skates on his feet. He's yeah. not, the, not the greatest because that com- that's accomplishment. That's different. But right. he's the most talented player I've ever seen, McDavid. And yeah. they have Dreisaitl, and they haven't won shit. Yeah. <laughs> right? And no. so it, it's the ultimate team sport. But as far as, like, to answer your question, no, scorched earth does not work. Look at Buffalo. Doesn't work. Look at Edmonton. Hasn't worked. Toronto hasn't worked. Do they have good, some good players? Absolutely. But have they won anything? No. Uh, I look at a team like the Kings who are recoiling. Won two cups in 2012 and 2014. And then they had a couple down years and they recoiled. And I think they're going to be a good team. Like you get Byfield. Yeah. They still have some of those veterans like Kopitar and Dowdy. Even Quick playing well. So I look at those teams and they go, that's the way to do it. And plus, look, I know people don't want to hear it. Every team suffers injury. Like Pittsburgh lost Malkin and Crosby and, and overcame it. The flyer, the injuries are part of the equation. And I think that the the big thing they got to figure out, and I I actually texted with Mike Yo about this, and I said, the big thing is you have guys that you have to figure out. Everybody says they want to win, right? And they're part of the solution. But words don't mean anything to me. It's all about actions, right? And how you show up as a pro every day and how you – you know, it's what you do, not what you say. So they have to figure out who the guys are that are part of the solution with every fiber of their competitive being and and then make sure they fit. Because I think the team has some passengers, and I think that the pieces don't fit. Having talent is great, but pieces have to fit, and you have to check a bunch of boxes. And I think that that's what they got to do. I think there's going to be some hockey trades. I think there's going to be some moves, obviously, here at the deadline. Um, It's a tough task for Chuck Fletcher to recoil it quickly. I do like that the organization has made an investment in a couple of areas, A, with player development, because that's obviously an issue, um, with scouting, which has obviously been an issue, and then – in analytics as well. And I'm not, we started out here. I'm not a big analytics guy, but I don't discount it completely. Uh, But they've grown their analytics department to five full-time well-paid employees that get health benefits. They're not going to just hire that department and not use it as a tool. And I just had Ian Anderson on flyers daily. Um, And I, first of all, I can't even believe that they let me talk to him a, and then B talk to him and tape it and let people hear it. But they did. And, so I, I think that their position from an off-ice perspective to, to have an effective re, retool. But as far as scorched earth, not my not my you're asking the wrong guy. I think it's I think it's fool. Foolish everybody, to do it. Everybody I we and some somebody said to me, You're too close to the picture to see the painting. And I'm like, listen, the, the people that are close to the picture are kind of all saying the same thing though so at some point maybe we do see like what actually makes the paint but you know i don't pretend to know all and only only time will tell but i'm interested i want to ask you because 
I love, I just want to pick your brain. Um, trade deadline coming up here. Who, who are your must moves? Who are your, I would actually not move them pieces. And um, I'm not just talking expiring contracts. And cause I was told everybody's on the table, barring like Couturier and Carter Hart and like Kevin Hayes was a no, you know, the guys with no moves, yeah. but who, who would be your must moves? Who would be your can't moves? Who would be your surprise move you'd make? Yeah. I mean like that, that notion of um, a player is untouchable. Like I, I've gotten a number of messages and tweets from people saying exactly. I mean, Carter is untouchable like. though. There's no way they're. Moving. Yeah. I'm not moving him. <laughs> um, but outside of that, you know, any player, I'm not hanging up the phone, you know, right. I'll, I'll listen. There's guys that I want to move. And then there's guys that I'm not looking to move, but Hey, if you're going to blow me away, you blow me away. Yeah. And like Provorov's in that camp, right? Mm-hmm. For me. Um, Sandheim's in that camp, although his recent play has really been impressive. And I'm yeah, I was going to say, go, I don't know if I'd move Sandheim now. <laughs> I really don't want to move him all of a sudden yeah. because he's a confident player and he's, he stretches the ice and he provides offense and he's got a little bit of bite defensively. But I think part of that's because of Ristolainen, who, again, I'm not looking to move. I'm not looking to take. So you're physical. not you're not in, in camp move Risto? I, I'm not in camp move Risto. I'm not in camp. Don't move Risto. It all depends on that element of can you extend him? Because I can't lose him for nothing. Uh oh, I got to so, freeze. There we go. We back. Yep. Sorry. Yeah, I, not, I'm, can't not move him. It all depends. Is what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, if you can't extend him, you got to move him because mm-hmm. I can't lose him for nothing. So, mm-hmm. but like, I mean, obviously, Giroux is a player, and you know how I feel about Giroux. I've been very vocal about it. I, I think he, he's a totally underrated player in the city. Uh, but him, Justin Braun, Martin Jones. Those guys all need to be moved. Um, you know, Farabee's not a guy I want to move, but then, I, but I gotta, but I have to look at the the trifecta of Konechny, Sandheim, and Provorov and figure out what I'm doing here. And you know, could, because we're kind of up and down, and we got to figure it out with those three players. And I think they're yeah. a really big linchpin that will be more decided in the off season than than now. I would be so season. hesitant. This is selfishly speaking as a GM to move Provorov. Because I think everyone's on the same page that like his struggles are not work ethic or athletic ability. It's a lot of the between the ears stuff. Yeah. And I would be so hesitant as a GM to say, all right, let me move him to a different situation. Unless I'm getting like everything but back. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And he goes to that other situation and it's the mental reset that he needs. And he's got a a steady defensive partner because that seems to be the key for him mentally for whatever reason. Um, he he goes there and becomes everything that you know he's capable of and more because it really is situational and psychological for him right now and it's it's crappy because like I can sit here and watch a game and go like I, I do understand why mentally this is so taxing for him and he mm-hmm. like he wants to play sixty minutes a night he, like it's mm-hmm. not like he's like this is too much for me ever he will never ever do that I don't think unless I there's something I don't know that switch that flip for him but he would rather do more and he's probably already being asked to do too much and so I'd be so terrified as a GM to be like go to this other situation mm-hmm. where everything comes together perfectly and you're like I. And now we're kicking ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, He's got the re- the the reliability of availability too. Yeah. Which is really important for a guy that plays as many minutes as he does to be that available. I think is a yeah. big element of it too. Yeah. Totally agree. And I mean, he could be one of those guys that makes you kick yourself more than Patrick Sharp or Justin Williams did times ten because he's a defenseman. Yeah. 
Well, when you talk about passengers, like he might not be playing well right now or playing up to what he he could be, but he's not a guy who like he he might unwillingly be a passenger on the in the car driving in the wrong direction, but not because he's not fighting to get out of the car. I think the issue is is that he's fighting so hard to to drive the car in a different direction and GPS is just like rerouting, 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 yeah. rerouting. Bill Meltzer calls it with him. Um, you got to stop trying to score the three or four run goal. Yeah. <laughs> There's no such thing. It's always one at a time. Mm-hmm. It, like you want to hit like the three run home run and you, you incur too much risk when you do that. And it yeah. goes the way. Well, he wants to, he wants to make the, the game saving play and score the game winning goal on the power play. And he wants to make the right defensive decisions all the time. And then yeah. he wants to overcompensate sometimes for defensive partners that aren't where they should be or could be or whatever, which is not a knock on Justin Braun, who's been his D partner for much of the season, because Justin Braun's outplayed, I think, everybody's expectations by a million times over and has been a kind of defensive revelation at the beginning of the season for the Flyers. Yeah. But it's just it, it's it's hard it's hard to watch because you can see to me, it seems like you can see how much certain things wear on Provorov in a way where he tries to fight through them and work through them because that's how he's wired. And sometimes you just, I think you got to let the current just take you over for a little bit and not fight it, but it's just because he wants to win. Like I give, I feel I can't knock him for caring. It's just, you can tell it's wearing on him. Yeah, no doubt. And losing will do that. Taryn, this was awesome. I thank you so much for doing it. I know everybody's going to uh, really enjoy hearing it if they didn't see it live or hear it live. And um, I'll see you at the rink, man. This was great. Thanks for Thanks, doing it. Thanks, Jason. I love catching up with you. It's not the yeah. same as when we used to just shoot the breeze down in NBA 1. I don't get to see anymore. But thanks for having me on. I love talking hockey with you. And here, Taryn, on Flyers Talk um, with Jordan Hall and with Joe Fordyce. Mm-hmm. And, yep. how, and you guys do that how often? Uh, usually twice a week. Depends on how many games they have. If they like, it'll be Wednesday, Friday this week, I believe. It's all okay. about their schedule and everything changing. But we try to do twice a week. You can find it wherever you get podcasts or and or tune into Flyers pre and post game live. If you're hanging around for games, we we're trying to make it fun and funny and entertaining. Me, Al Morganti and Scott Hartnell. I'm usually trying to herd the cats in the right direction, but can't always do it in your next appearance on this show um we're gonna have to talk about you working with al <laughs> oh that's gonna <laughs> that's be an a episode on its own podcast yeah. for like the guy i try to tweet them as soon as i hear them because there's so many i forget but like randomly in the middle of the game sorry i know you're just trying to end the podcast but randomly in the middle of a game the other day he goes you know it's legal to walk around with a crossbow in the state of new jersey i was like what made you think of that and he was like no, I have one. They're cool. You can, you can just walk around with them. I was like, why he would you? He's like, I don't know. It's a conversation piece. And I was like, what goes, in your brain? In, what goes to your brain? In 2010, I'm getting ready. I was at WIP at the time. And I'm getting ready to go to Montreal for the conference final for the first game. And I got my passport on my desk in my office and everything. So whatever, I pack up, I leave, I go to the airport. I get, it, uh, I get on the plane. I land in Montreal. I'm going through customs. And I hand my passport to the lady at the customs counter. And she looks up at me. She's like, you're kidding me, right? And I'm like, what are you talking about? She t- takes my passport and flips it around, and there's a picture of Bin Laden where my face is. No. no. Thanks, Al. No. <laughs>
Thanks, Al. I'm going to ask him about that tomorrow at work. Oh, my goodness. That sounds like an Al Morganti thing to do. Did that once, and he put a picture of Lou Holtz on my face another time. Uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Natalie Eganoff has some good, has some good Al Morganti stories too. Yeah. Me and her swap war stories from time to time, but Al's oh. he's, he's like a, like a, a kid, a, like an 11 year old boy, yeah. <laughs> but in a grown man's body. Yeah. He only likes no. to eat butter noodles and unseasoned chicken salad. Like he really is like an 11 year old boy he's in a grown a man's body. Man. Kills me. Well, Jason, this was so fun. We'll do an Al Morganti tribute podcast someday coming up. I would love to do that. Absolutely. (laughs) Thanks for doing this, Taryn. Bye, Jason. Thank you. There she is uh, from NBC Sports Philadelphia and the Flyers Talk podcast, Taryn Hatcher. She gave us a lot of time. I really appreciate it. So thank you, Taryn. I hope you guys enjoyed that as well. Um, Everybody, get the Park Sportsbook app because it's fantastic. It's great to use. It makes watching games that you really don't have an emotional connection to even more fun because you got a financial connection because you can bet on all different things, including player performances, props, parlays, teasers, puck lines, money lines, uh, spreads, you name it. It's all there for you. Live in-game play-by-play betting is awesome. You're going to love it. So download the app, put it on your Android or your uh, Apple iPhone, open up an account, deposit your first bet. It'll be risk-free up to $500. You won't need a promo. Your first bet, just open up the account. Again, deposit, risk-free bet up to $500. So make sure you grab the app and uh, get in on all the action, whether it's college hoops this month, whether it's uh, pro hoops, whether it's uh, you look at, uh, obviously, the NHL, betting hockey, first to score, exact score, points, whatever it might be, Uh, maybe baseball at some point as well. Just get the app and check it out, peruse it. It's really easy to use, and you're going to have a great experience with it. Again, on all the different player performances, props, teasers, puck lines, money lines, and everything there for you. Um, it's very simple, and it will not overwhelm you, and you'll have a lot of fun with it as well with live in-game play-by-play betting. And also, make sure you follow Parks on all the different social channels at Park Sportsbook on Twitter. Follow them on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook, and you'll get daily specials, great content, including this podcast and Ajis coming up tomorrow with myself and Harry Mays, a Tuesday edition. Harry's back from Florida, so we'll talk about his journey as well. So, everybody, thanks for watching this episode of Park Sportsbook Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Another brand new one coming up on Thursday. In the meantime, enjoy the hockey, and uh, we'll talk to you coming up uh, tomorrow for IGs and then Thursday for episode number 28 of Park Sportsbook Presents Stick to Hockey Live. Have a great Monday, everybody. 